podcast, home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. The harder I tried to adjust the way I walked across the cement floor of the reception area to minimize the thundering echoes I was creating, the louder they seemed to grow. The walls of the facility seemed no match for the sound, and I imagined the other guests at the retreat shooting awake in panic and taking cover under their beds as my steps resonated through their rooms. Mercifully, I reached the desk before anyone called the authorities to report the crisis my size 10 trainers were creating as I walked and found a small lit lamp next to a folder with my name printed across the front. They had confirmed in the welcome email that there wouldn't be a problem with an after-hours arrival, and I was relieved to see the printed instructions on how to find my room and other facilities, rather than a call button to rouse an attendant at that ungodly hour. Once I'd oriented myself to the direction I'd need to head to get to my room, I was further relieved to see that there were only four or five more steps I'd need to take before I reached the plush carpeted hallway. My room was halfway down the hall, and I hesitated before I removed the keycard from the slot, anticipating the screaming notification that the card had been accepted, followed by the deep clunk of the lock disengaging. Once I'd run the gauntlet of inconsiderate sounds I could make for the night, and was safe inside my understated but still very lavish room, I quickly stripped down to my underwear and crawled into bed so I could get as much sleep as possible before it was time for breakfast. I don't know why being healthy is always equated with waking up as early as possible, but I had committed myself to receiving all of the benefits of the place, which included rising in time for the 7am breakfast. But that didn't happen. Lucky for me, breakfast was from 7 to 8.30 because... I slept through the alarm, lazily rolled over at 8.10 and was scrolling my phone before I remembered where I was and what my plan had been. I dressed myself and rushed to the dining hall so quickly that I was standing, panting in the doorway of the rattan-filled room by 8.13. The room was empty, but I thanked the breakfast gods as I spied the remnants of the buffet glistening in the warming trays across the room. The soft sounds of the rinsing of dishes traveled from the kitchen as I loaded up my plate with the various mystery grains and experimental proteins the other guests hadn't already depleted. I'd prepared myself ahead of time that the retreat probably wouldn't provide coffee, but couldn't help but question my choices as I filled a mug with a mushroom brew, the color and texture of disappointment, and took a seat in the sunniest corner of the room. I'd had the foresight to grab the welcome packet in my mad rush out of the room and pulled it out to study it while I heaped superfoods into my face before someone kicked me out of the dining hall. The choice to book the retreat was so last minute, I I couldn't remember which activities I'd committed myself to and was relieved that I'd kept the weird stuff to a minimum. Thoughts of the breakup and my impulsive choice to escape to a wellness center in the mountains in response tried to sneak to the front of my mind, but I've pushed them aside and attempted to relax and focus, despite the fact that I had already started off on such a chaotic note. 
I wasn't sure if I was trying to prove something to Celine by choosing the wellness retreat in the first place, but it was too late to turn back, so I recommitted myself to getting something out of the experience. Yoga was the first thing on the docket for the day, which I thanked my past self for, as I'd done enough of it over the years that I wouldn't feel like a total fish out of water. It started at 9am, so I had just enough time to stop by my room to brush my teeth and change into my most pliable clothes. Then I navigated the exotically scented halls to find the yoga studio, which was empty, uh, with the exception of the teacher who sat cross-legged, eyes closed and silent at the front. I couldn't help but feel self-conscious as I slid out of my shoes and chose a mat that was close enough to the teacher to be respectful, but not so close it would make things awkward. The temperature in the room seemed to rise ten degrees as I arranged my legs in some semblance of the lotus position. As a historically hot-blooded person, I had been extra careful to avoid the time slots for hot yoga, but wondered if I'd made a mistake in my haste to book the class as tiny streams of sweat started to snake down my chest and back. I snuck a peek at the instructor, who seemed totally unfazed and moisture-free, and so closed my eyes to find the meditative state where I too could control my glands but could only zone out for a few seconds before I had to swipe at a new patch of perspiration on some part of my body. The heat only intensified as the seconds ticked on, and just as I was about to sneak out of the class while her eyes were still closed, the teacher breathed a hearty namaste, and I lost my nerve. For the next 45 minutes, I squished and splatted my way through an endless series of poses, and it was impossible to keep my grip by the end because I kept slipping in the ever-growing puddle of my own making. The instructor spared me by pretending to not hear the soggy sounds of my struggle, but it was still a living nightmare, and as soon as the second namaste crossed her lips to signal the end of the shavasana, I snatched my shoes and was out the door. I didn't even bother to put them on, dreading the mess I'd make if I did and I breathed a sigh of relief once I'd made it across the entire building without seeing another soul and was on the other side of the door to my room. I don't know if I'm cut out for this, I said to the empty room as I stripped off my soaking clothes and threw myself into a cold shower. I stood, with my face tilted into the stream of water for several seconds, allowing the thousands of droplets to batter the embarrassment loose from my skin then stepped back when I heard a low scratching sound somewhere in the room with me. I listened for a moment to the soft but urgent scratches and slowly turned in the stall toward the location of the sound, but it seemed to move with me as I did, always maintaining its place just to my left. The glass of the shower stall was completely steamed over, so I swiped a hole to peer through, but the room was still empty on the other side. I closed the tap so I could hear more clearly, but the sound stopped as soon as the water was off. I stood still and listened for the sound to return until goose flesh started to rise in protest of the cold, then turned the water back on to warm, which felt amazing in contrast, and quickly lulled me back into enjoying the shower. The combination of the heavy pressure of the shower head and the various salts and salves the retreat had provided calmed me down enough that I was at least out of fight or flight as I toweled off on the edge of the bed and studied the schedule I'd laid out next to me. 
The next thing on the itinerary was time in the ancient salt caves, which reminded me how much money I'd spent on the retreat, and the thought of the four-star spa-sized hole in my bank account recommitted me to getting the most out of the experience that I possibly could. After a sit in the salt, the schedule said that lunch would be delivered to my room to allow for reflective solitude, which sounded right up my alley, and so I was in a much better mood by the time I left to find the caves. I'm not sure what I was expecting, but the caves would be better described as igloos or medium-sized rounded enclosures, and I struggled to justify the 125 euros the place charged per hour as I slid onto the salt-lined lounge chair and pressed the button next to the sign that indicated I should push it. There was a slight buzz on the other side of the salt wall that quickly transitioned to a low whirring noise, and I couldn't begin to imagine what therapeutic wonder I had activated, so I just laid back and hoped to make the best of it. Within about ten minutes, my doubts had started to drift away, as an unexpected sense of total calm began to wash over me. And around ten minutes after that, I drifted into a lovely, peaceful sleep. I woke up when the machine gently shifted into a slightly lower gear, but the calm remained, and my thoughts were free to float gently around in my head for the first time in a very long time. I let my vision do the same, and my gaze wandered softly around the room, in perfect sync with my peaceful mind, until it landed on an anomaly in the bricks of salt on the other side of the room. The bricks were all perfectly pink and rectangular, except for one, just above head height on the opposite wall, and it had created a half-circle-shaped opening in the lower left corner. There was something pleasing about the shape of the void where the corner had been, so I stared at it until my vision blurred comfortably and it split into two fuzzy and floating black orbs. But as I stared, Something shifted in the center of both of them simultaneously, and when I blinked to refocus, there was an eye watching from the other side of the hole. It was small and golden and and stared at me so intensely it made me shiver. Not believing what I was seeing, I, I blinked again, and it was gone. Okay, that's enough salt for me, I muttered and peeled myself off of the lounge chair. My skin buzzed with the persistent sense that someone was still watching me as I grabbed my water bottle and pushed my feet into the slippers I'd left by the entrance. But when I swiveled around to check the spot where I'd hallucinated the eye, it was just an empty space where two blocks hadn't fit together as snugly as the rest. Out of curiosity, I crossed the room and pressed my face against the hole to double-check there wasn't an employee enjoying an underwhelming peep of me lounging in my sweats but there was a whole lot of nothing between the hole and the nearby wall. I turned my head to listen. And at first there was silence, but as I waited, a very faint pounding emerged from the quiet. It was low and rhythmic, like like the scratching had been, and I could make out a second, softer beat just after the one I could hear more clearly. It, It didn't grow any louder, but the longer I listened, the more clear it became. 
So I pressed my hands against the salt and positioned myself until my ear was most of the way in the hole and the sound pulsed inside, filling my head. whisper cut through the repetition of the sound and I pushed back, throwing myself off balance for a moment. I, I stumbled toward the lounge chairs, then corrected and returned to the wall. Hello? I called into the hole and immediately wished I hadn't. I didn't have the nerve to stick my ear back in to listen, but no one responded during the few seconds I waited and the pounding sound had also stopped. So I hustled myself out of the cave, blushing and fighting the feeling of regret that I kept finding ways to resurrect. As I hurried toward my room, I noticed the laundry sign posted two doors down from the caves and slowed my pace as it dawned on me that I'd been eavesdropping on the laundry facility through the hole in the salt. <laughs> I blushed a little deeper at my misunderstanding, but my mood improved for the second time that day, and I finished the walk to my room at a normal pace, knowing that I had just been seduced by the sound of a dryer and wasn't being stalked through the walls of the spa. As promised, when I returned to my room, there was a stainless steel dome covering a tray on the desk in the corner. I lifted it to reveal a large mound of something brown, flecked with bits of slightly darker brown. Nestled up against the main brown mound was a smaller lump of something chunky and reddish, and a salad that was so substantial it resembled a miniature forest. So I replaced the lid and opted for a protein bar that had been marinating in the bottom of my backpack for a few weeks. As my tongue and teeth fused together inside the first bite of the dense bar, I stretched out on the bed and did the one thing I'd promised myself I wouldn't do. I checked my phone for any signs of Celine's longing or regret. And of course, there were, there were none. Anyone who has had their heart shattered by a cheating partner knows that there isn't a chance in hell they'll return until you've completely moved on and have lost all interest in them. And, and so the first several months after the breakup are... Uh, are spent trying to pretend you've moved on and lost interest in them in an attempt to trick the system into speeding up their return. But the system is smarter than that. <laughs> uh, and I was still very much at the mercy of my love for Celine. And so, against my better judgment, I tapped her name in the list of text messages. Stop. Just stop. Her last message simply read, Preceded by the embarrassing barrage of desperate texts I'd sent after the last conversation in a string of conversations about her betrayal and abandonment of our seven-year relationship. Conversation isn't the most accurate term for the exchanges we'd had after the breakup, but, but I'm referring to the times we'd met up in public and she'd muttered unconvincing apologies as she explained how she'd fallen in love with our twice-divorced neighbor, who was ten years her senior. In return, I'd try to bargain with her and then beg her to come back. In the end, I would resort to hysterics as she reminded me that I hadn't asked her to marry me after she'd subtly, and then not so subtly, dropped the hint over the years, and if I had, our story might have had a better ending. 
And the part that was haunting me, the, the worst part of the whole excruciating ordeal was knowing that even if I had to do it over again, knowing everything I know now, I still wouldn't have asked her to marry me. I'd booked the retreat, hoping I could find an answer to my persistent self-sabotage in the glowing pink of the salt caves or in a waft of lavender-scented steam. But the reality that there was something seriously wrong with me was filling up every space I inhabited. And I feared in that moment it was going to suck me under completely. Fuck that, I huffed stubbornly and tossed my phone loudly across the room, ignoring where it landed. I snatched the spa menu and scanned the list for the most intensively rejuvenating option. Detoxifying Dead Sea Mud Wrap leapt off the page. I grabbed my water bottle, fled the room before the self-realization could take hold of me, and followed the empty hall until I heard the tinkling soundtrack of the spa. How may I help you? The spa attendant asked as soon as I stepped into the low-lit room. Uh, yeah, I, I was wondering if you have any openings for a mud wrap by any chance. Sure, she confirmed without consulting the computer in front of her. I can help you with that. She glided to the wall of robes and towels behind her and collected two tightly rolled bundles before gesturing for me to follow her through another sliding door to the treatment area. The music was louder on the other side of the door, the lights lower, and the air was so thick with essential oils, a tiny headache started doing a tiny lap dance at the base of my skull. Are you also the yoga instructor? I asked as she turned to fully face me, and I recognized her as the person who had led me through 2,700 seconds of pain earlier that morning. A slight smile spread across her face as she nodded and then moved on to explain how to position myself face up under the towel on the treatment table once I'd undressed. Once she'd completed her spiel, she crossed the room without making a sound and disappeared into the hallway to wait for me to follow her instructions. She re-entered the room with a soft knock a few minutes later, and I self-consciously adjusted the towel several times as she set down the huge bowl of detoxifying material she'd returned with. Have you been slow today? I'm surprised you had an opening for me. We're always slow this time of year, she explained and began to move her hands from the area below my clavicle out to my shoulders and down my arms. I closed my eyes and she continued, and no one likes you. Excuse me? My eyes snapped open and I searched her face for clarification as it hovered in reverse over mine. I said no one's slow too, she explained and scooped out a handful of the mud mixture. I relaxed at the mention of their sister retreat up the hill. Right, of course. I've never been to no one. This is my first time here, too. She slid the mud across my forearm in response, and I took the hint that it was time to shut my mouth and relax into the service. And so I did. She covered every inch of my exposed skin in handfuls of moistened earth, and once I was sufficiently slathered, she wrapped me in the sheets that had been piled on the table before I laid down, and then rolled me from side to side to tuck them tightly around me. I'm normally a very claustrophobic person, but the sensation of being 
swaddled was deeply comforting and I relaxed into my warm, gooey womb as she rinsed her hands and further dimmed the lights. Before she left me to doze, she bent over and gently placed her hand on my shoulder. Do you want to change the story? The the what? I asked and blew at a chunk of mud that was threatening to fall into my open mouth. She grabbed a towel to clear the area around my mouth and repeated, Do you want to plunge in 40? I can book the salt pools for you. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, please, that, that would be great. I watched her nod in confirmation as my eyelids slid shut. I heard across the room. And as she exited through the soft whoosh of the sliding door, I felt some part of my soul slip comfortably out of my body to hover above me as I rested. The most content and relaxed I'd been in years. As I dozed, I began to drift back in time, past the seven years I'd spent with Celine and the nightmare that had been university and the struggles of life immediately after. And I landed on the precious year that I'd taken to goof off after high school. I found the magical weekend at the end of that year buried deeply under the weekends that had accumulated since. At the beginning of that weekend, I I found the girl that I had met as my best friend's band played at a venue two hours from our home. Her name had been Beth or Becky or something that started with B. We'd met when she had complimented the dead milkman shirt I'd borrowed from the same best friend and by the end of the night she'd convinced me to spend the rest of the weekend camping by the seaside with her. We didn't have an agenda. She just found an old tent that her neighbour had discarded, and it had inspired an impromptu trip to the coast. She'd said I seemed like a a dude who would benefit from the sea air, (laughs) like I was a Victorian woman suffering from melancholy or something. But I agreed to go. We spent the next three days dragging her insufficient tent around as we explored the coastal towns and then talked all night as we gazed at the stars while the tent sat, mostly collapsed and empty beside us. It had never dawned on me that I could just be. That I could just roam and discover and breathe and simply be without a schedule or agenda or outcome and it was glorious it it hadn't even been a romantic thing I mean we'd kissed once after sharing a jug of dangerously cheap wine but, but that was it and a complete lack of pressure or responsibility of any kind made it the best three days of my entire life. We'd parted as casually as we'd entered the adventure and I hadn't missed her at all. But the feeling of absolute freedom had haunted me ever since and I'd never had the confidence to find it again.
I'd moved on with my life, and the responsibilities had heaped higher and higher. And by the time I'd booked the spa retreat, everything I'd loved about myself had been crushed beneath the weight of it all. I awoke with a deep gasp and would have sat straight up if I'd had the ability to. I felt lighter than I'd ever felt, even under so many pounds of hardening clay, and and gravity seemed to have lost the ability to press me into the table below me. I was suddenly whole and real, and I just was for the first time in my entire life. I spent the moments before the woman returned to unwrap and rinse me in the pleasing fog of reconnecting with some lost part of myself. The woman led me to the soaking pools once I was clean and cognizant enough to follow her, and I disrobed and practically cannonballed to the bottom as soon as the coast was clear. I remained in the fetal position as the salt content of the water lifted me to float midway between the bottom and the surface. I stayed, suspended there, until it was time to grab a gulp of air before submerging again. I absorbed the sonic sounds of the pool, safe in my makeshift womb and enjoyed my sovereign underwater state for what felt like hours. I went back to the coastal trip with B, and then walked into the sea in my memory until I was fully submerged and kept walking, until I found the beginning of time and the origin of man. I found the first body and slipped inside. The power and presence I felt inside of that flesh were immense. I I was purely sensation and instinct and drive, and it was magnificent. Waves of self and being surged through me and I stretched and snarled, screamed and swam until suddenly and horribly some spark of electricity ignited in the wad of fat inside of my head and my mind began to form. The more powerful my mind became, the less vital I felt and I knew I must be born before it was too late, before I'd fully abandoned my body to inhabit my brain, and I burst forth in a massive wave, gasping for my first breath as an emancipated being. I pulled myself out of the water and slid, primarily across the slate tile surround. I was the primordial birth. I was the first thing the most free, and I slurped at the salt water, then slithered through the half-open door, 
My slick body squeaked against the dry tile in the changing room as I wiggled and wormed my way across. By the time I reached the door to the main hall, my limbs had begun to sprout, and so I began to drag my brand new body as fresh instinct started to trigger, hot and urgent in my developing brain. The woman rounded the corner, holding an armload of towels, and I attempted a protective hiss, which stopped her dead in her tracks despite being weak and underwhelming. I sucked in another breath and hissed again, <laughs> this time with enough ferocity to communicate that I was a wild thing, a wanting thing. I was a thing who had just sprouted their hind limbs and was using them to lumber toward her on the nubs of my elbows and knees. Join me, I snarled and hesitated a moment to allow her to answer. The towels in her arms exploded in response and wrapped around my head and torso as I rushed forward and she stumbled breathlessly backward. I lost my balance in the twist of the towels and, and, and screeched and thrashed until I was free and upright again. But the woman was gone. I arched my back and sniffed until I found her scent suspended in the dense air, then followed it stealthily in the direction she'd headed. My elbows and torso torpedoed me silently through the several rooms and then down the hall to a bright area where I found her with her back to me, talking rapidly and gesturing wildly in the direction of the place that she'd last seen me. I was stronger now, growing stronger by the minute. I flexed my newly formed fingers and toes as I stalked her from the shadows. Her voice grew more frantic, more demanding. Her arms flew out further and further from her sides. I could smell her fear mixed with frustration. And then, all at once, she was calm. She slowed her breathing and dropped her voice, and I could hear the slamming of her pulse as she tried to regulate the heart inside of her chest. I waited, absorbing all the signs of her life, monitoring even the most micro of her movements, until I knew it was time to claim my prey. She turned more relaxed, but still fully alert. And I erupted from my place on the floor. My legs were turbines of power, and I had pinned her to the ground before she'd had a chance to fully turn round. The blood beating against her thin neck was my beacon, and I followed the signal with my open mouth so I could rip out her throat as a scream still grew inside of it. She was immediately still and the scent of her retreating life still hung in the air as a bell chimed nearby, and the temperature and pressure of the room shifted momentarily. Oh, 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 dear God! A man's voice said as his head crested the desk, and then he discovered the woman and I behind it. 
still suspended over the woman's neck. I watched as his pupils dilated and smelled his blood rush forward in panic. He was weak. I didn't want this man, but it was my duty to offer. All bodies deserve liberation, and so I roared, Join me! But he simply screamed, a high-piercing, whining sound, an, an awful, manic, punishable sound. I could take my time with him, I knew. I could extend his captivity, feed on his fear. I'd be stronger for it. I stalked him on all fours as he blubbered and begged, and when I was confident, I knew the exact point on his chest that I could use to explode his heart. I rushed forward, upright, and reduced the pale man to a pile on the floor. The man had gone without a sound. But I stood, stone still, and listened for anyone else the woman might have called for help. No one came, and so I folded myself back into the shadows to wait as long as I'd need to be sure I was alone and free to dispatch my kill. When the sun had dropped behind the hills and no one else had emerged, I pulled the woman into the woods so I could feast and replenish my strength. When I was done, I dragged her to a ravine and pushed her into the creek below, then returned to the building and did the same with the man. I lounged on a boulder in the moonlight while I contemplated my next move. I could live in the woods and stalk my prey from the dark places and the branches above. But a different freedom beckoned me. There was liberation in control and hiding in plain sight. I was evolving, growing stronger still. And I could be like them, better than them. I could lead them and liberate them in this place. I'll welcome them to the retreat so I can reanimate their essence in watery wounds, shake them in my earthen fist, reset them, and then set them free. I'll wear their uniform, nod, and smile and mimic their words, as empty as they are. I'll destroy so many in search of the beast, but we'll find and free the beast in others. Other beasts like me. <laughs> yes. I like it here. I think I'll stay a while.
This story was written by Courtney Eck and narrated by Ben Chandler. For more stories that haunt, as well as a behind-the-scenes look at what we do and why we do it, you can join our Patreon at patreon slash pleaseleavepod. You can follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at pleaseleavepod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com. And our website is pleaseleavepod.com. This has been a Please Leave Media production. Thank you.